You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Anytime that I start talking about what I am just about to mention, it provides my clients with great entertainment because apparently my voice goes up quite a few decibels. My temperature probably goes up a notch or two and probably my heart rate and blood pressure too because this is one of my pet hates what I'm just about to mention. But I'm mentioning it for a reason because it'll lead me nicely into what I want to talk about today. Last week, I was talking with a client who is in the process of going for a new job. And she told me that she had been called for a barrage, her word, and it was a barrage, of psychometric tests. She was going to do basically what might loosely be described as a personality test. She's probably going to do something along the lines of the infamous Myers-Briggs test. Now, anybody who mentions personality tests or the likes of Myers-Briggs or Insights Discovery to me is subject to a barrage of my sort, where, as I said a minute ago, the old decibels start rising, because these tests are pure nonsense. Indeed, there is a whole body of psychological research that is prefaced by the remark that these tests are unethical and should never be used in the recruitment process of any individual or in the performance appraisal of any individual. Indeed, if you look at the websites of some of these psychometric tests, there is a caveat that says, don't use this in the context of recruitment or performance appraisal. And yet, they are standard issue for people, even small businesses who think, you know, it's kind of cool, maybe it makes me sound or feel like a big business if I subject human beings to a load of tests that will put them in a box. As an aside, uh, and it's it's a story that emphasizes really what I'm, I'm talking about here. A couple of years ago, I was asked to do an after lunch speech at a strategic session that a number of partners in a firm of accountants were doing. They were going off site for a couple of days. The topic for those three days was thinking outside the box. Now, I know it's an old cliche and it isn't one that I came up with. I was just helping the managing partner put together this whole event. And in the context of that, he asked me, would I do uh, an after lunch presentation on the middle day? And I said, I don't want to do that kind of thing. The kind of stuff I do requires an awful lot of understanding on the part of the people with whom I work, primarily, first of all, an understanding of how mad the normal mind really is when it is used normally. We know that from our conversations here, but also because the science of first of all, how the normal mind works and more excitingly, the science of how we can get our minds working abnormally or extraordinarily for us, that takes time to go through, it takes time to understand, and it is all only a preface to 
us actually taking the steps that we can all take, starting with meditation, to enable us start tuning in our minds to a different wavelength, start restructuring the physical neural pathways in the brain in a different way, so that we start perceiving differently and we start achieving differently. And most importantly, for starters, we start perceiving ourselves in a completely new light. So I didn't want to do the after lunch talk. And he said to me, that's OK. He said, can you help me? Have you any suggestions? Is there anybody else you might recommend? And truth of the matter is, given what he wanted to talk about over the course of those few days, thinking outside the box, there wasn't anybody that immediately sprang to mind. So I said to him, why don't you do something that just enables them chill out and relax and to use a psychologicalism, depotentiate themselves. In other words, take them outside their comfort zone. So I talked to him a couple of weeks later and he said, he is still not on for doing that talk. And I said, I really don't want to do it. I said, have you come up with any options? He said, well, we were thinking about raft building or paintballing. And I had a little chuckle and I said, well, at least they're not sitting in a room talking about strategy. I said, but maybe, you know, you need to look a little bit, cast the net a little bit wider. A couple of weeks later, we were only two weeks short of the event actually taking place at this point. He rang me and he said, I have the perfect person to do the after lunch presentation. He said, I'm having an expert in the insights discovery program come in from the United States. To which I replied, you'd be far better off paintballing. At least the guys would learn something from the pain of being hit by somebody else's paint hitting them in the torso. I said to him, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean? I said, somebody coming in and doing a personality test like that will put all the people in a box. What's the theme for your three days? Thinking outside the box. And you're actually going to pay somebody to box people up again. And you know what? When people are told they're blue, green, red, or yellow, they start hanging out with blue, green, red, and yellow people and realize that, oh, I'm blue. No wonder I don't get on with the guy who's green or red or yellow. And it's all, as my American friends would say, BS, with a very large capital B and a very large capital S. How did I, you see, I told you that my voice has gone up a number of decibels and my blood pressure has probably gone up as well because this is pure crap. My friend who was going for the job said, I have to do these psychometric tests anyway. She said, but what do you think of them? I said, well, you know, they have one thing going for them. And that is that very often they are the first opportunity that normal crazy people have in their lives to even consider how they behave, or more to the point, how they misbehave. Because as we know, again, from previous conversations, when we're using our minds normally, we're using our minds on automatic pilot. Our automatic pilot is using programs to make sense of the here and now that were learned when we were young and impressionable, the result of which is that we make nonsense of the here and now, as a result of which we automatically react to what we think is going on in the here and now, and we always misbehave, we never behave. So as I said to my friend, well, at least these personality tests are often the first opportunity that normal crazy people have in their lives to consider the implications of their own bad behavior. But they're no more than that. She said, but do they not give you an understanding of who you are. I said, they give you exactly the opposite. 
they do not measure who you are. They do not even measure your personality, which by the way is definitely not you or anything like you, some, just somebody you believe to be. As I said a few minutes ago, when you actually start restructuring the very essence of your physical brain, you begin to perceive differently. And most importantly, you see yourself in a different light. So these, this snake oil nonsense of measuring you or measuring your personality, it doesn't even measure your personality. If it measures anything, it measures the long shadow cast by the misbehavior that is created by you allowing this person who isn't there, your personality, take over and rule your mind and your life. So if anybody has ever told you you're a type XYZ, and I, you see, I don't even know what the Myers-Briggs types are at this stage. I've forgotten them for the simple reason that I had to study them from the perspective of my psychological studies and immediately discounted them. Uh, and uh, sorry, I'm not alone in that regard, by the way. There's a whole body of psychology that says, don't go near that crap. So I don't even know what the types of Myers-Briggs so-called personalities actually are at this stage but if somebody told you were an xyz or god help us if somebody told you you were a mix of yellow and green type personality and did you ever hear such nonsense in your life nonsense it is you are not that person you don't even have that kind of personality what those tests measure is as i said the long shadow cast by the bad behavior that flows from you believing that you are your personality. Which leads me on to what I really want to talk about in today's episode. There is an old expression that people are afraid of their own shadow. And that is actually the case in the context of that long shadow cast by your own personality. People won't do what they know they need to do. People will avoid saying what they really need to say. People will do stuff that they know they shouldn't do out of fear of the shadow, the long shadow cast by their personality. Let me explain. You might be afraid, let's take a really simple one. You might be afraid to stand up in front of people and make a speech. I was actually talking to somebody a couple of days ago who has no problem doing this, but she said to me, if my sister were given that task, she'd run a million miles from it. It's not her thing. She is afraid to stand up in front of people. You might be afraid to stand up in front of people. Why do you think you'd be afraid to stand up in front of people? Now, I've phrased the question deliberately because I started the question with, why do you think? You would think it because something happened to you when you were young and impressionable that made you uncomfortable in that situation. You would think it because you might be concerned about what other people would think of you when you stand up to make your speech or your presentation. Let's take it down a notch and just say that you actually have to meet somebody and say something to them. And whatever the something is that you have to say to them, you would prefer not to have to say. 
So you're afraid of saying it to them. And you might be afraid of saying it to them because of the perceived repercussions there might be to you saying it, even though you know it's something that you should say and that you need to say. You might be afraid to say it because of what the other person will think of you. Well, consider this. The person that is afraid is not you. The person that is afraid is the person that you think you are. And the person that you think you are, who is afraid of what the other person might think of you, is not actually afraid of what the other person thinks. He or she is afraid of what he or she thinks the other person is thinking about you. Or if I can go one step further, he or she is afraid of who he or she thinks the other person is might be thinking about you. In other words, we're millions of miles removed from the reality of the moment. First of all, you have no idea what somebody else is thinking. How could you? Most people haven't a clue what they're thinking themselves because they're thinking on automatic pilot. You know, I, I was in conversation with God help me, a husband and wife a couple of months ago on Zoom. And the husband was about to say something and the wife said, oh, I know what you're thinking. And he said, how do you know what I'm thinking? I'm not even sure what I'm thinking myself. And as I said a minute ago, if you're operating on automatic pilot, you actually haven't a clue what you're thinking because the same subconscious thoughts are whirring through your mind day in, day out, and you're not aware of them. In fact, you're not aware, full stop, when you're operating on automatic pilot. And once you're not aware, you're not aware of who you are. You think you are acquainted with who you think you are, this personality that we've talked about. That personality's long shadow cast by your personality's own misbehavior makes you afraid to step outside that shadow into the light of day. Or, as evolutionary psychology would have it, it makes you afraid to step outside your comfort zone. Now, there are good evolutionary reasons for not stepping outside your comfort zone seven or eight or 10,000 years ago, when our life would be put on the line by putting ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. That's why it is natural for the normally minded person to be afraid of saying something that they know they should say because they're uncomfortable saying it or they think they would be uncomfortable saying it. How would they know if they've never actually gone and said it in the first place? So we're talking here about fear. Or are we? Because people will say to me, oh, I'm afraid of public speaking, or I'm afraid of making a fool of myself, or I am afraid of failure. Now, most people, if they are really honest with me, will actually say, I am afraid of being a success. Now, this is a really interesting one. People are afraid of being successful because of what their friends will think of them. What kind of friends would think the less of you for your being a success? Many people over the years have said to me, the more successful I became, the less friends I had, because half the people who I thought were my friends were jealous of me, or some of those people were actually willing me to fail, because why? It made them feel uncomfortable. 
Why did it make them feel uncomfortable? Because they didn't know who they were either. They were afraid of their own shadow, the shadow cast by the misbehavior of who they thought they were, their own personality. Now, if I am tying you in knots at this point in time, I apologize because it's really, really simple. The essence of this is I'm perfect. No, we'll talk about you because this isn't about me. The essence of this is you're perfect. You were born perfect. The stuff that you learned that gave you your perceived imperfections was learned particularly during the first three years of your life, but most pointedly during the third year of your life. What you learned between the age of three and 12, or when your mind started to shut down as an adult and run on autopilot, was layered on top of what you had previously learned and filtered through that learning. The key stuff was learned during your really formative years, in particular, as I said, the third year of your life. That creates what modern psychology calls your conceptual self, or what used to be called your personality, or what might be called your ego. It isn't real. Sorry, it isn't even that it isn't real. It isn't there. It's just a figment of the thoughts that were created by the misbehavior of other people who were operating on automatic pilot when you were one, two or three years old. And it's a terrible thing to say, but that probably most importantly included your parents. In other words, stuff that was done to you and for you, but mainly to you during your formative years that left you with this impression of yourself that isn't you. When we're using our minds normally, we're afraid of every little nook and cranny of our own minds and the shadow cast by what's going on in every little nook and cranny of our deep subconscious mind, the stuff that is holding us back, the thoughts that wield power over us. They're not real. There's stuff that happened long ago that we're still giving our attention to. And when we give them our attention, when we give them our energy, we give them power. Now, we've talked before about how you starve those thoughts of your energy and attention. You devote your energy and attention to what's real, the reality of what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting, the unvarnished reality of what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting in the here and now. That is what meditation enables you do. It enables you see, feel, hear, smell and taste what's real unvarnished by the muck in your own head. But when we're using our minds normally, the muck in your own head generates this fear that I'm talking about. Most fundamentally, we are afraid of sticking our nose outside our own comfort zone, regardless of how uncomfortable that comfort zone might be. Again, you know, that client that I mentioned earlier on who wanted me to do an after lunch talk a couple of years prior to that, he had asked me would I put together a program for the people in his partnership on resilience. And I said, I don't do resilience. He said, what do you mean? We need to be resilient in the face of the stresses of everyday life and in particular in business. I said, but stress doesn't exist. It is something that we choose to do when we use our minds normally because we are afraid that we may not be up to what we think is going on. It's the same thing as the fear that I mentioned a minute ago. I said, so why would you develop the resilience to put up with what you've just created yourself and with which you shouldn't have to put up at all because it isn't real? 
you see the point I'm making? All of the fears that we have, they're not really fears at all. They are simply the product of thought. What I think about myself, how I feel about myself, how comfortable I am or am not in what I think is my own skin. That's completely different from who I really am. My own skin, and it fits me like a glove, is this personality that the likes of the Insights Discovery Program would put in a green, yellow, red, or blue box. It's not you. It's not you at all. But boy, do the thoughts that create this version of you that fits you like a glove constantly create discomfort and fear, or more to the point, actually, the fear of discomfort. Because you could be in a crap job, now, now, not a job that you just think is crap. You could really be in a crap job. And that crap job is something with which you should not put up. But you're afraid to go and get another job. Or you're, fr you're afraid that you might lose that job. Or you're afraid of what would happen if you put your head outside your comfort zone and said to yourself, maybe I want to work for myself or I want to do something different. It doesn't matter how distasteful or uncomfortable one's comfort zone is, as long as we are not on the edge of our reason, as long as we are not at rock bottom, as long as we are not desperate, we as human beings are prepared to put up with almost anything. In my 26 years doing this, probably the majority of people that I met. When I met them for the first time, I met them because they were desperate. They were desperate for one reason or another. They may have been at a crossroads. They may have been suffering from stress. Some of them would have had a heart attack before I had met them as a result of stress. Some of them would have been suffering from cancer before I met them as a result of stress. Some of them would be depressed. Some of them would be feeling down and out and stuck. Very few people that I meet actually do what we all need to do before the circumstances of our lives thrust us into a position of having to do it. What am I talking about? Taking control of your own state of mind. That's what I'm talking about. If you were a proper adult, you'd take responsibility for your own state of mind. It's amazing the number of people who have said to me over the years, oh, I blame my parents, or I blame my upbringing, or I had a desperate childhood. Well, you're not a child anymore, do you know that? You're an adult. You're an adult who can take responsibility for your own state of mind. And you know what? You're the only one who can. Nobody else can take responsibility for your own state of mind. And nobody else is responsible for your own state of mind. Nobody else is responsible for what you're thinking except you. Okay, the stuff happened to you when you were young and impressionable, but you're still thinking it. You're still giving it your attention. You're still allowing it to make you feel uncomfortable. You're still allowing it to make you fearful. Now, it's an old book at this stage. It's a book I've never read for the simple reason that the title puts me off straight away. Feel the fear and do it anyway. There is no fear. Fear is not a real emotion. Fear is either something that is triggered primally. And by that, I mean when you are confronted with potential loss of life, in particular loss of your own life. But say you saw someone else losing their life, that would be vicariously 
the fear of losing your own life and it would prompt real fear. That's what I call primal fear. All the other things that you're afraid of are concocted by the way you are paying attention to the thoughts in your own head. Am I good enough? Am I up to it? Would I make a fool of myself if I said this? Would I expose myself if I did that? What would other people think of me? I'm afraid of that. What if this? What if that? What if the other? These are all the thoughts that swill around in our own head that create what we call fear, but it isn't there. It's only a figment of the same imagination that makes us fear our own shadow, which, by the way, isn't there either, because your personality, your conceptual self isn't there. It is only it's a ghost in the machine. It is a ghost created by you pouring your energy and attention unwittingly when we're using our minds normally and automatically, by pouring your energy and attention unwittingly into this creation that isn't there. Oh, people have said to me, oh, Willie, isn't it wonderful when you get out of your own way? Aren't things so easy when you get out of your own way? Aren't things so wonderful when you stop living in your own head? Well, now, to my mind, living in your own head isn't living at all. It's, it's barely existing. It's scraping from one day to the next. And you know what? All you have to do is take a couple of deep breaths. Experience the joy of living in the moment. And discover that in doing so, you're opening a door into a world that your thinking mind doesn't even know is there. We talked a few minutes ago about people doing crap jobs people putting up with stuff that they shouldn't put up with at all. People who are existing from one day to the next and decorating their lives, jollying up their lives by going on holidays or buying themselves stuff to make them feel better. As I said to somebody recently, people who are in a prison cell of their lives, putting up posters on the wall saying, oh, my prison cell looks nicer now, decorating your prison cell by doing this or buying yourself that. When you realize, first of all, the door isn't locked on the prison cell. If you go a little step further, you realize there is no door. And if you go the whole hog and come into the here and now, you realize you become fully aware of the fact there is no prison cell. There is no box. You are neither green, yellow, red, or blue. You aren't this type of person, that type of person. You're a perfect and integral part of the universe. You need to let yourself go. You need to liberate yourself. We liberate ourselves from our own thoughts by simply not paying attention to them anymore. The training to do that is meditation. Now, meditation does so many other things for us, mind, body, and spirit. But meditation will enable you stop feeding the beast that isn't there. And once you stop feeding the beast that isn't there, you realize that there is a whole world, a whole life to be lived right here, right now. That is way beyond the wildest imagination of your thinking mind. Walk out into the open. Walk out from the shadow cast by your personality into the light. Discover who you really are. Turn up to the here and now and start living your life to the full.
you'll never look back. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.